You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. I'd like to welcome you to Victory. My name is Neil Bernardino, and I pastor this church. We are in the third installment of our series entitled Selfless. And with that, I'd like to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We are looking at love and how we can have selfless love. We're looking at love in light of Christ's relationship with us, with the church. And so in how that perspective of Christ's love for us impacts our relationships with people and most especially our relationship with our spouses and our families. And at the end of this series, our goal is for us to walk in a deeper kind of love, the God kind of love, which is a selfless kind of love. And so if you're there in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 1 up to verse 10. I will be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. So Ephesians 5 verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings transformation to our lives. And we ask that you would begin to illuminate our hearts and our minds and our soul, Lord, with your word today. And let the light of Christ shine so that we may walk in your light, that we may bring pleasure to you, and that we may bring glory and honor to you as well. We commit you to sermon, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us and teach us by your Holy Spirit that we would learn to apply your word today for your glory and honor. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the context of this passage is we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. We've been camping on Ephesians 5. Next week we're going to move to Ephesians 2 as we look at how we are to relate with others and especially with the heart of compassion, the way Christ looks at us. He looks at us with a heart of compassion and that's what moved him basically to save us and to give of himself for us because of his great mercy and compassion. But today we are looking at basically our relationship with others and the context of this is to putting off the old and putting on the new. Again, remember we're talking about Paul speaking to the Ephesians of their newfound identity in Christ because they are new in Christ, they are new creations in Christ, they have a new nature and consistent with that nature, 
they are to be made holy. As a matter of fact, in uh, Ephesians 1, it says, starting verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And verse 4 says there, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, God has chosen us before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. You see, if you're here today and Jesus Christ has captivated your heart and you've given your heart to Jesus, you're following Him, some people think that we have chosen God. I've chosen to be with God. I've chosen Christ. But in reality, it's not us who choose God. It's God who has chosen us. It's not us loving God. It's God who loved us first. And as a result of us experiencing His love, we love Him back. The saving grace of God is not a product of our work, but it is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's an act of grace. It's a work of grace for us. So it's not about us. It's about what He has done for us. And the context here is putting off the old and putting on the new. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. And then in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2, it says there, we are to imitate God and to walk in His love. So that's the context of the passage that we have. So because we are new creations in Christ, we are to put off the old and put on the new nature, that we are not to walk according to the Gentiles or according to our unbeliever ways or our pagan ways, but we are to imitate God and walk in His love. And in that context, Paul talks about things that are inappropriate for the believers. First is sexual immorality in verse 3. And then he talked about impurity. And he talked about covetousness or greed. But not greed in the sense that you're greedy for finances, but it's basically a lust for more consistent with sexual immorality and purity. Because you can have a continual lust for, for sensual things. And that is the theme here of this verse. When you talk about sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, those speak of lust for sensual things. The context, as we said, is to imitate God. As you imitate God and walk in His love, you are to avoid these things. Avoid these inappropriate ways for believers. See, if you are a believer in Christ, these are inappropriate for you. That's why we can't call ourselves believers when we still participate in these things. The reality is a lot of Christians still struggle with these things, but these should be things we are to be putting off by the grace of God because we have a new nature. Seen together, these three things are products of lust. Again, the covetousness here is in the sense of lustful, sensual desires. These three lustful ways are far from what love is all about. Remember, the context is walking in love. These are products of lust. See, love and lust are two different things. Edwin Lewis Cole said this, Love is the desire to benefit others, even at the expense of self, 
That's why we named this sermon series Selfless. Because love desires to give. Lust, on the other hand, is the desire to benefit self even at the expense of others. You see the contrast? Because lust only wants to get. Lust wants to get. Love wants to give. Lust wants to benefit self. Love wants others to be benefited. And he goes on, love is easily satisfied. Lust is insatiable. Love is the nature of heaven, while lust is the nature of both a living and eternal hell. The concept of this is further expanded in verse 4 of Ephesians 5. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. These are but expansions of the theme of the first three. These are basically manifestations of the lust that is in the heart. Filthiness. What does filthiness mean here? It means obscenity. It means obscene behavior and language. Do you know people like that who have obscene language and obscene behavior? Filthiness. Foolish talk speaks about not just bad language, but may also signify malicious gossip and slander. When you slander someone, you assassinate that person's character. When you slander someone, basically you're throwing bad words to put that person in a bad light. That's foolish talk. And crude joking or coarse joking, basically words spoken for laughter or for fun, but in the context of sensual stuff, sensual things, even sexual things. Other people speak of words that have double meanings. And usually the double meanings are sexual in nature. You know, people always have uh, sexual innuendos and sexual references in their words. Again, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, we will either be acquitted or condemned by the words that come out of our mouths. It's not what comes into a man that makes him unclean. It is what comes out of a man. For what comes out of a man come from the heart. And the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. That's why we are to surrender our hearts. When people say in this day and age, a popular axiom that a lot of people adhere or embrace is this. Follow your heart. If you are filled with sin and you follow your heart, guess where that heart will lead you. Guess what kind of life you'll have? Guess what kind of relationships you'll have? Guess what kinds of motivations will be running in your heart and in your mind? Following your heart is not the greatest of advices. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's why the heart needs to be redeemed. The heart needs Jesus Christ. It needs the gospel to transform it. These six things that we read about, Filthiness, foolish talk, crude or coarse joking, in line with the other three things, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, basically a lust to gratify your sensual desires. All these things are inappropriate for the believers. The last three that we looked at, 
filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, speak of unwholesome talk. And we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul to replace these things with thanksgiving. Now, it's interesting. This was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in Rome. So this was thousands of years ago, about 2,000 years ago. And yet, Paul's words are still applicable today. Like what we discussed last week. These words of Paul, not just the words of Paul, but the words of Scripture are relevant to us today. It is not out of date. It's not old-fashioned. It is relevant to us today. Because God's Word is timeless and it is true. Therefore, it transcends culture. It transcends different eras. It's true for all time. The situations then are the same situations today. The truths that God uses to deal with those situations then are the same truths we need today. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let no unwholesome talk come out. Because what comes out of your mouth, they all come from your heart. You can take a peek into a person's heart by what comes out of that person's mouth. Think about the words that you say. What kind of words come out of your mouth? That is a good reflection of what's in your heart. If you're always spewing out slander, that's what's in your heart. If you're always speaking words of complaint, then that's what your heart is filled with. You're a grumbler and complainer. If you're always saying, I don't think I can do this, I don't think I can do this, then your heart is not filled with faith, it is filled with doubt and unbelief. Whatever comes out of your mouth is a good indicator of what is in your heart. That's why the psalmist says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Oh Lord. Now, what are the results of these inappropriate ways? So these are ways that are inappropriate for followers of Christ. Ephesians 5 and 6 says here, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What's the result? Those who practice sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Any sexual activity that does not conform to the righteous and moral standards of God that He has defined for sexual activity. No matter how much you justify the act, no matter how much you try to convince yourself that it's okay, everybody does it, so it's probably okay. I was born this way. Somebody once said, you know, it's hard to change my life. I was born this way. How can I change? And the preacher said to him, it's easy. Just ask Jesus to make you born again. If you were born that way, he can make you born again into a new creation. Now, it says here, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God if you walk this way. Secondly, the second result of this is found in verse 6. It says there, let no one deceive you with empty words. 
Because of all these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. How many of you want, are expecting, can't wait to receive the full wrath of God? Is that what you want? A lot of people insist on those inappropriate ways for their lives, justifying it, but they don't want the wrath of God. You see, you can't choose one and not get the other. If you choose that kind of lifestyle, then you get the whole package. God doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want us to live that way. But if we insist on our own will, He will give us what we ask for. Some people say, God is unfair. Why would He send people to hell? You know what? It's actually not God sending people to an eternity away from Him. It is because we have chosen to go there. Do you realize that? God gives us the chance to be in right standing with Him, to be delivered from our sins, to be delivered from our sinful ways, to be forgiven, to be saved, to be redeemed. And we reject Him. And as we reject Him, we expect that we can still go to where He is. All we can have is a dreadful expectation of His wrath. Those are the results. If we live and if we insist on our own way, you see, God wants us to walk in His will. But if we insist in our own will, you know what He would say to us? Okay, let your will be done. When God gives you over to your own will, it will lead you to something that you will regret for all eternity. So, you will not inherit the kingdom of God and you can expect the wrath of God to come. That's why in another place, the Bible does make it clear that you can't call yourself a brother or a follower of Christ and yet insist on living this way. You are living in deception if that's the case. If these ways are inappropriate and these are the results, what are we to do? These are inappropriate things, improper for the believers, and out of place for followers of Christ. Kent Hughes says this, Sensuality is easily the biggest obstacle to godliness. Today it is wreaking havoc in the church. Godliness and sensuality are mutually exclusive. And those in the grasp of sensuality can never rise to godliness while in its sweaty grip. So if we see these things as improper, inappropriate for believers, what are we to do? Ephesians 5.3, again, says there, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So, it must not even be named. That means it must be avoided at all cost. It must not even be spoken of you. Do you appreciate it? Do you like it? If you have a reputation that you're a sexually immoral person and everybody knows it, do you like that? Are you proud of that? That's something you wouldn't want you to be tagged with, right? When somebody looks at you, when somebody looks at, uh, at Emma, godly person, leader. Okay, somebody looks at uh, Joanne, worshiper. Somebody looks at another person, 
loves God, disciple. And then when it comes to you, sexually immoral, stay away. Do you want that to be your tag? We don't want that to be our tag, right? So we are to avoid it. It must not even be named. We, it must not even be spoken about it. Now, this is the English Standard Version. In the New International Version, this same verse is rendered this way. But among you, there must not be even a hint. Not even a hint. That's the standard. Not even a hint. What's going to happen if I'm your pastor and then you see me flirting around with people? What will that do? You will not follow my lead. I will lose your respect and whatever spiritual influence I have, and that's what's going to happen. That's why the standard is not even a hint. We don't play around with these things. When it's 12 o'clock and everybody's sleeping and you're the only one awake, and you think you're in the clear, and then you click that website and you watch a porn flick, and nobody saw you, and after you did that, you deleted your search history and everything. Nobody saw me. Do you really think nobody saw you? Are you really that convinced? Are you really that naive that nobody saw you? You see, evil things, wicked things, sinful things done in secret, from what I've observed, God has a way of exposing them. Exposing those acts. The standard is not even a hint. God sees everything that we do. So don't think that nobody sees you. That's why you can just enjoy doing these things. The Bible does say that we are not to associate with a brother or a sister, for that matter, who calls himself a brother and yet who is sexually immoral. We are not even to associate with those people. That's the standard. And the Bible says in verse 7, do not become partners with them. Those who practice these things, those who practice sexual immorality, those who are impure, those who lust for more sensual things, those who are filthy, those who are filled with obscenity. You know, if you record them, they put them in a, in a TV show and they speak. All you would hear from them would be beep, 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 beep. They're bleeped out because they speak expletives all the time or obscene words all the time. Do not become partners with them. You see, Paul was telling the Ephesian believers, don't partner with them. Don't share your life with them. This is a tough pill to swallow. But the reason why the standard is high is because sexual immorality, and if you notice, see, covetousness and the context of that is, you know, lusting for more sensuality. You see there, and it is, covetousness is compared to an idolater. Sexual immorality is basically you worshiping the flesh. And if you worship something other than God, that is idolatry. That's why in the Old Testament, when you talk about prostitution, it is like the sin of idolatry. Because prostitution has something to do with pagan temple worship. That's the origin of that. They have temple prostitutes and they participate in prostitution so that they can have a blessing from their pagan god. So the question now is this. Knowing that these are improper, inappropriate, these should not even be named or talked about in the Christian community, in, in the lives of believers. And knowing that the results of these things, 
if we insist on doing these things, is that we will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and in God. We can only expect the wrath of God to come. What are we to do? Here's where things get complicated. How many of you want to be free from these things, but you do recognize there is a struggle inside you? So I want to ask this question now. Why do some believers still struggle with these sinful ways? How can they overcome these? Because it is a struggle. And sexual immorality, sexual sins, lust, sensuality, these have been problems of humanity from the very beginning. These are nothing new. You say today, you know, in the 60s, you know, you don't see people dressed that way. And today, people aren't dressed at all. In the 60s, they're all covered up. Today, they show more flesh than the covers. And somehow we think that today is even worse. But you know, the problem is not in the externals. The problem is in the heart. When did the sexual revolution happen? Was it today? It didn't happen today. Do you realize that you can still cover yourself up and still be lustful inside? People you know, if they allowed you to know their struggles, you'd be surprised if they struggle with sexual sins. This is a reality, a problem that every believer faces. So we are not, I mean, if we're not careful, we'd be entrapped by this. So why do some believers still struggle with these sinful ways? You see, the answer has something to do with what we focus on. A lot of believers, the reason why they struggle is because of this. They focus on trying to overcome the struggle. They are so focused on becoming victorious. They're so focused on overcoming. They're so focused on not getting into that sin to the point that they're always guarding that. How many of you play basketball and you guard someone, right? When you're playing defense in basketball, your attention is on your opponent, on the member of the opposing team you're assigned to guard. If you remove your focus from him, then he'll get the best of you, right? That's the problem with a lot of Christians today. Their focus is on their quote-unquote opponent, which is sexual sin. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to overcome you. They're so focused on beating the sin that they forget that their focus is supposed to be on Christ. If you focus on the sin, you're always focusing on sin. That sin will always beat you. But if you focus on Christ, it's Christ is the one who beat your sin. Focus on Christ. He'll give you the victory. If you focus on building your relationship with Jesus, then this struggle will become less and less pleasing to you. It will become less and less appealing to you. And then the time will come, it will just drop off. Not that you're completely immune from that, but you'll see it's no longer a struggle like before. Because you're so preoccupied and so focused on building a relationship with Christ that you don't have time to look at these things. So it's a matter of who you are focusing on. Jerry Bridges, the author of The Pursuit of Holiness, one of the best books I've read. It is time for us Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. 
No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be well if we stopped using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. If we focus on Christ, what do you think will be the natural result of that in terms of your struggle with sin? If you focus on Christ, do you think you will disobey Him? If you focus on Christ, and when you see that sin trying to distract you, then the natural thing for you to do is to obey what Jesus says. Obey His Word. You have the wisdom to say, Why? I'm, it's not worth falling for this sin in light of my relationship with Christ. And that's the reason why a lot of marriages are in disarray. Marriages are wrecked. Sociologists say that the family is the basic unit of society. And if sexual sins destroy the family, it destroys the basic units of society. What kind of society will we have? The reality is this. If you are a believer, then you are not a patched up person. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, we are to live according to that reality, according to that holiness, not according to our past. Ephesians 5.8 says there, For at one time you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. If you're a believer, then you are no longer darkness, you are light. But passionately, you don't understand my background. Yes, I may not understand it, but God does. That's why He saved you. That's why He got your number. And that's why He apprehended your heart. And now that you are a believer in Him, your past no longer defines you. He defines you. Jesus Christ defines you now. Even if a past says to you, you can't let go of me. I am too strong for you to let go. Your sin cannot stand before the holiness of Christ who is in you. That's why in Christ we have hope. So what kind of struggle do you have? Don't think that it is insurmountable. Your struggle, especially in this area of sexual sins and sensuality and everything that is wrong when it comes to sexuality, you may think you have no hope God gives you hope in Christ. That's why Christ is the mystery that was revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Him we have hope. You are light in the Lord. So we will avoid, we will not even mention these things, and we will not participate in these things. We will not partner with these sinful things when our focus is on Christ. So again, people struggle, especially believers, they struggle because they're focused on the wrong thing. If our focus is on the right person, on Christ, then He will give us the victory. So I want to look at the right focus now. So first, Paul gives us two things here that will enable us to focus on you. As we focus on Christ, He will enable us to walk in His light. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, eight, And in verse 9 shows us the fruit of walking in the light. The fruit of light is found in all things that are good, 
all things that are right, all things that are true. The fruit of light, the fruit of you walking in the light will result to you living and doing things that are good, right, and true. Basically, these things talk about goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are descriptions or characterizations of the children of God who walk in the light. You walk in the light, this is what will mark you. Your life will be marked with goodness. Your life will be marked with righteousness and with truth. What is goodness? Goodness is not just a phrase we use. Oh my goodness. It is the quality of moral excellence. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. We boiled it down. I mean, we've, <laughs> we removed the umph in, in that word. But when we talk about goodness, it is the quality of moral excellence which is the deliberate preference of right to wrong. That means you deliberately choose right over the wrong thing. It is the firm and persistent resistance of all moral evil. And it is the choosing and following of all moral good. Now, can anybody be good on their own? Because of sin, the Bible says no one is righteous, not even there's no one who does good. Not even one, the Bible asserts. No matter how good you look today, reality is you're not good on your own, on your own merit. You can't do anything that is good, that God will call good because of your sin. But here's a good thing. In Christ, we can walk in His goodness. As a matter of fact, goodness is not something you can produce yourself. It is something only God can produce in you. Goodness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit means product. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit in you. You see, the Holy Spirit, when He dwells you, his impact in your life produces these things. What are these things? When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, this is not, I choose goodness, I choose love, I don't like patience. No, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's all of these are lumped up together. If you look at it, these are all character traits. So the fruit of the Spirit is actually the character traits of Christ being produced in you as you walk in the Spirit, as you walk in the light, as you obey God. Fruit of the Spirit cannot be produced when we are walking in darkness. Righteousness. Righteousness is to be in a right relationship with God through Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And this results to right relationship with others. When you're in right relationship with God, the next thing that will happen is you'll be in right relationship with others. And it will lead to a lifestyle that conforms to God's truth, justice, His law, and His morality. Righteous desires to do what is right and pleasing before God. And it is choosing to do what is right and pleasing before God in every situation and in all our human dealings, in all our dealings with other human beings. 
See, it's not who's right, but it's doing what's right. If you mess up, what's the right thing to do? What is the right thing that will bring pleasure to God? It's not to keep your pride and say, hmm, I'm going to keep my ego. I'm not going to say sorry. I'm going to look like a sissy if I say sorry. I'm not going to say sorry. You think that's pleasing to God? No, it's not. What's pleasing to God is doing what's right. You mess up, you humble yourself. You apologize. You make restitution. You make it right. That's what pleases God. What if you're the one who was wronged? Hmm, he offended me. I'm not going to forgive you. Even if you grovel at my feet, I'm not going to forgive you. You suffer. You feel my wrath. Is that what's right? No. It sure does feel right sometimes. But that's not what God wants. What God wants is this. Even if the person offends you for the nth time, what is the teaching of Jesus? Forgive. Love. They don't deserve it. Yes, they don't. But I'm looking to you, God's saying. What are you going to do? Here's what I want you to do. Forgive. And love anyway. They don't deserve it. That's what love is. You give not because they deserve it. You give even if they don't deserve it. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, He became our righteousness. When you talk about righteousness, it's not something you can produce on your own. It's something that only comes through Christ. If He dwells in you, He produces that goodness in you, and He gives you His righteousness. You are in right standing, in right relationship before God. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Truthfulness or truth. Truthfulness is the quality of life that is based on God's truth. That means there's no pretense, no lies, no deceit. But all you walk with is your life is marked with honesty, with integrity, with dependability. Because when you're truthful, you're dependable. When you're truthful, you are trustworthy. It's easy to trust a truthful person, right? Do you trust a deceitful person? These three descriptions, righteousness, truthfulness, and goodness, are seen in the Old Testament. Psalm 51 verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. This is the psalmist speaking to God, praying to God. Is conversing with God in this psalm. You delight in truth in the inward being. In the NIV it says, you desire truth in the inner parts. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is seen also as characteristics of those who dwell in the presence of God. Psalm 15, verses 1 to 3. O Lord, who may lodge or who may dwell as a guest in your tent, who may dwell continually, on your holy hill. He who walks with integrity and strength of character. That speaks of truthfulness. Holds truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue. Remember, unwholesome talk is inappropriate for believers, right? He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. He only does good. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. You get the picture. 
You see, all these three things that we talk about, goodness, righteousness, and truthfulness, we see it in the Old Testament as well. So we are to walk in the light. We are to walk as children of the light. That means we are to reflect the one we are pursuing. We are to reflect Christ. The good thing with light is this. When you are pursuing the light, when you're facing the light, that light will shine on you and you can reflect the light. You see the moon? How many of you love watching the moon when it's it's a full moon? It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's bright. Is that its own light? No, it's the light that comes from the sun. But it reflects the light of the sun. See, when we face the light, Christ, we reflect His radiance. We reflect His character. We walk as children of light. And secondly, we are to live to please God. Ephesians 5 verse 10. We are to walk in the light. And we see here the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we are to walk in the light and we are to discern the will of God that pleases Him. Ephesians 5.17 says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know that we please God when we desire His will and when we do His will? When we walk in His will. We bring pleasure to God when we say to Him, Let your will be done. When you insist in your own will, you're not bringing pleasure to Him. You always say, Lord, let my will be done. That's not going to bring pleasure to Him. Why am I saying these things? We're talking about relationships here. When we walk in purity, when we walk in the light, we will walk in the purity of Christ in our relationship with others. Then we will not take advantage of people. We will not participate in inappropriate ways and violate people's lives because we just want to participate in sexual immorality. We want to be impure. We want to be filthy. See, when we walk in those ways, we end up destroying the lives of other people as well, not just our own. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this in the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Remember, God shows us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. And here, Paul is saying in Romans, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When our focus is on Christ, we will walk in His love and in His light as His children, and we will live in and for His will, which will enable us to live a life that brings pleasure to Him. As I conclude, when we do so, the natural result is that we will avoid those things. It's not that our energy will not be expended on the avoidance of those things. Our energy will be expended on pursuing Him. And as we pursue Him, these things will fall by the wayside. And if you're struggling today with those things, the key is not to focus on those things and try to overcome them. The key is focus on Christ and He's the one who overcomes those things for you. When our focus is on Christ, we will walk in purity in our relationships. We have a lot of relational ills in this world. 
All because we can't control our sins. All because of the sin in our hearts. But if we are in right relationship with God through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He enables us also to have a right relationship with others. It's only in the power of God can we walk in purity in our relationships with other people. It's not by our might nor by power. It's by the Spirit of God. And God wants us to walk in His light, walk in His will, and walk in His love. And our relationships with others will be taken care of. Father, I pray for people who are struggling with those impurities, with sexual immorality. Lord, anything that involves non-conformity to your standard, Lord, with regards to sexual activity. For you define sexual activity to be blessed only in the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Anything that is outside of that, there is no blessing. So, Father, those who are struggling with sexual sins, impurity, with filthiness, with foolish talk and with coarse joking, and with all kinds of sensual greed or covetousness. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would show them that in spite of those, you still love them and that you want them to be free from those things. You want them to be victorious. And the way for them to be victorious is not to fight those things, but to flee from those things and run to you. For you will be the one to defeat the enemies of their souls. Father, I pray that you would deliver them and for the rest of us, Lord, who are not struggling with these things, but we love you. Lord, we pray that you, our focus would continually be on you. That you would open our eyes more and more, that we may see more and more of who you are. And we ask, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would reveal the love of God. And that you would deliver us through the power of your spirit. That you would lead us so that we may walk in your path. That we may walk in your light we may walk in your love and that we may walk in your will that we would live this life Lord experiencing and walking in your pleasure Lord thank you that you're pleased with us and I pray that as we live our lives in obedience to your word Lord that you would receive all the glory for our obedience and thank you for your grace that enables us to obey and may we Feel your pleasure, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we honor you. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.